Welcome everyone to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everyone. Here today on the 50th anniversary of the airing of the first episode of Star Trek to talk to you about Star Trek Discovery and the panel we attended at the recent Star Trek Mission New York convention. Indeed, with so much of uh, Star Trek Mission New York as a look to the past, uh, whether it's seeing William Shatner, whether it's getting your autograph with uh, John Delancey, TV's Q, whatever it might be, this was a panel that, uh, that looked ahead to the future of Star Trek and uh, the two uh, the two guests at the panel were uh, Nicholas Meyer, uh, writer and also well known as a director of Star Trek Two and Six, uh, as well as uh, Kirsten Beyer, a uh, a novelist and TV writer in her own right. And uh, Pete, the panel though started with a nice little uh, I won't quite call it a sizzle reel, but uh, but uh, a little little message from 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 who. That would be from showrunner and uh, veteran Star Trek writer Brian Fuller and uh, producer and uh, writer of the reboot films, um, Alex Kurtzman. And uh, as I recall, kind of no, certainly no new definitive footage there. They were both speaking, of course, uh, with enthusiasm about the new series. Uh, a little bit of the uh, the quote unquote test footage, test flight footage, um, uh, was intercut with things along with footage from the previous series, uh, really hammering home that this is the uh, this is the continuation of the Star Trek brand, the Star Trek legacy. Uh, there was a quick shot of some uh, some in progress uh, alien makeup that uh, that certainly caught the eye, but. Um, it, while it, it it didn't have any new kind of revelatory information, it was certainly a great way to to get us excited. And then uh, then uh, Beyer and Meyer came out. Yeah, and to get these two members of the writing room to this convention for this panel, uh, granted, you you can't have the executive producer, and he has made the rounds recently. Um, at uh, San Diego Comic-Con. And then there was another television critics association presentation that they, they did, but you know, they're in the process of transferring. They're going to film up in, in Toronto, uh, moving from Burbank to uh, Toronto and everything there. Um, this was, uh, I thought a, a great and revealing panel. I completely enjoyed the salt of the earth quality that uh, Nicholas Meyer, um, long uh, associated with Star Trek, but who still sees himself as an outsider and talks about how he brings a, a grounded reality to the writer's room and the wide-eyed optimism of Kirsten Beyer, who uh, has written a series of Star Trek Voyager novels um and was announced there's they they gave her backstage the 
the title of Admiral. She's going to be overseeing the continuity between the Star Trek Discovery TV show and the novel that's going to be coming out as well as uh, a tie-in comic book. So from the fan perspective, it certainly is reassuring that there are there are kind of so many eggs in the Star Trek basket that they're really looking to do the um, I mean, cinematic universe is perhaps a tad uh, a tad dramatic and also uh, not, not accurate given the film and TV split that I know we've discussed in the podcast before. But the notion that they're looking to have that integrated there's going to be the TV show, there'll be the novel, there'll be the comic, and they're all going to be able to to kind of speak to each other as opposed to the novel comes out a year later where they tell the untold story of what happened before the ship left space dock or things of that sort. That certainly is reassuring. It took me a little while to warm up to Nicholas, uh, Nicholas Meyer's kind of slightly sardonic take on things. Um, I think that while I left the panel excited for Star Trek Discovery, uh, I think that there must have been a suit from CBS who was either there or watching or whatever it might be, who I think was probably hoping for more of the San Diego Comic-Con Hall H kind of thing as opposed to the, the more measured presentation that those two writers gave. Well, let's cut to the quick of the news that came out of it, which was uh, during the Q&A portion, a female fan saying, I, I think I speak for everybody. Please don't screw this up, which um, Meyer uh, addressed for about two, two and a half minutes to the point of we'll lower your expectations that if your expectations for something are going to be that high, that it is inevitable that you will be let down. And I really agree with him and uh, feel very comfortable that he shares that perspective. It was done nicely. Um, it, it wasn't done, you know, like the, 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 the Shatner parody that happened on, Saturday Night Live, where he's talking about, you know, people moving out of, uh, you know, their their parents' basements and, you know, kiss a girl for once or something like that. But, you know, Bayer chiming in that, you know, everybody who is doing this wants to do a great job. Uh, their hearts are completely in this. And, you know, you need to let this happen, not place additional pressure on it. You know, I, I know they were faulted that okay, there's no new reveals, you know, there had been some speculation, maybe we'd get a name for, uh, you know, the, the, the lead in the show, which has been indicated is going to be a, a female, possibly a minority female. Um, you didn't need to get that reveal. I left completely confident that this is in great hands. You, you've, you've got the guy responsible for the wrath of Khan who had uh, writing input, on the voyage home and then uh, directed uh, the undiscovered country. You've got a guy in their writer's room in Joe Minoski that it was pointed out, wrote uh, the Darmok episode of uh, the next generation. So I, I, I agree with him and, you know, my, my faith is, is squarely, uh, you know, uh, unshaken. 
I think that one needs to slightly separate the message and the messenger from from some of the less positive portions of that panel. Uh, the soundbite, Nicholas Meyer, colon, quote, lower your expectations, close quote. Uh, that does not, not sound good. And I'm sure that there's a junior executive uh, somewhere in the CBS hierarchy who is, you know... <laughs> Had, from one end or the other had vomit or, or or blood or something coming out just because that's not the sound bite you want. The flip side is the two and a half minute message, as you mentioned, Pete, was one of let's put things into perspective here. And I couldn't help but be reminded that while you and I, Pete, are certainly uh, avid and longtime Star Trek fans, there are people out there and there were people at the convention who who live and breathe Star Trek you know, it. Whether you want to say Trekkie, Trekker, Trekker, whatever it was, there are people who, for them, it is the end all and be all to the point that, uh, at one point, I think it was the the between panel um, uh, host that they had uh, to kind of keep the audience energy up. You know, he made a Star Wars reference, and it was almost was like, "How dare you mention Star Wars?" You know, oh, we can like both. Uh, you know, so I know that there are fans out there that need that reminder that. The pilot of Star Trek Discovery does not need to be a third testament to the Christian Bible in order to to change our lives completely. Um, that said, uh, the 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 fire in in Kirsten Byer's eyes when she was responding to to that fan, the please don't screw it up fan. I think that was more fire than was ideal. Um, had it been a two-way conversation, my response would have been, or I guess a three-way if I'm inserting myself into it, would have been, but there's so much bad Star Trek out there that you can see why fans are a little nervous. Pete, you and I really, really enjoy uh, all three of the the J.J. Abrams era movies, the Kelvin Universe movies. There are plenty of people in that room who did not. Um, so... For them, the last time there's been good Star Trek is a while, and certainly if you look at the ratings from the high point 1994 Next Generation uh, finale to 10 years later when Enterprise wrapped up, that's a long, sad, slow decline in viewership. So I understand where the concern comes from um, for Nicholas Meyer to remind people the audience doesn't know what best what's best. I was taken aback and then he Well, I've seen different I, I have to respond to that one. Sure, I've sure. seen variations and you and I were there for that, as were other reporters, and um I've seen variations of what he said. What he said was the audience doesn't always know what's best for it. And I think, you know, compared to a uh, Roberto Orkey, the other half of the Kurtzman writing team involved with the, the first two uh, uh, as a team um, Star Trek reboot movies who then very infamously made some comments online. Well, that's why I write them and you don't get to write them, which you can't ever do. Um, I think Meyer put this in its proper perspective and, you know, talking about their, their writer's room and, the, the prescient notion that Trek has always had of taking, you know, current events and distilling them through the, the lens of the, the 23rd century and, and putting them out there in a metaphorical way that, that's not one-to-one -one that people can understand. 
even Matt, to the point where some people didn't quite understand the things they could talk about these two soldiers in Brian Fuller's army, as opposed to what they could, you know, when, when somebody asks, well, Hey, you showed us in the video that, that Chekhov was featured prominently. And that happened at the, uh, you know, the, the, the cold war point in our history, uh, a Russian on the, the bridge of a future starship. Does that mean there's going to be a Muslim on the bridge? They can't answer that. They can't give away that detail. And then somebody yells out, that means yes. I mean, there, there has to be a tempering of expectations at this point in September when this show is, is coming in January and they've not shot a live action frame yet. I, I agree in principle with all that. I wonder how much the great and mighty Star Trek machine that has, that has laid dormant, at least on the TV end, for, for these 10 years plus now that that's being revived i wonder if parts of the machine have not been updated i mean fine it's four months away i'm still thinking of all the other geekdom properties where you get more sizzle four months out now it helps when you have footage (laughs) footage period um but part of me is almost like you know when i fell out of my interest in star trek um somewhere late 90s early 2000s um it was kind of starting to dawn on me as a young adult that there was a there was a an attempt to commodify the star trek fan um which granted exists across all sorts of things i mean isn't that why c3po has a red arm so you can have a new, I mean, I've heard that theory. You can have, The reason people need to go out and buy the new C-3PO is that he's different than the C-3PO you bought a couple of years ago. Because this one has a red arm. It's only a red arm so that you can sell the comic book backstory of the red arm and then sell the action figure with the red arm, and et cetera, et cetera. But I kind of felt like four months out at a Star Trek convention in New York City, where where was more sizzle and maybe some of that is again it's because they don't have a locked final draft script because they have yet to shoot because they have yet to cast but i don't know if that makes me feel good that you don't have stuff to show or you're telling us trust us trust us trust us but nobody knows what this thing looks like not even the people in that writer's room and that makes me a, a little nervous for, for for grand old star trek I do understand the anxiety, and I think this is pent up given that it's been so long now since Star Trek has has been on TV. We're, we're going to talk 12 years by the time it, it ultimately comes on. And, uh, you know, the the second longest break, right, since uh, the original series uh, went off the air. I don't know if we could really count the animated series in that gap before we get to the next generation in, in 1987. Um, I mean, it certainly had the, <clears throat> a lot of the, uh, the, the voices and the creative team, but you know, TV has changed so much in the last 12 years. And even to the point where, you know, you have two novelists here, Matt, um, in, involved in TV work and, 
one of the things that's come up again and again about how Star Trek Discovery's first season 13 episode run will will unfold is akin to chapters in a novel as opposed to um, episodes in a TV show. So this is a this is a different type of Star Trek than than we're familiar with. I understand the consternation, but I think in 700 plus hours of TV, yeah, you're right. There, there's a lot of bad Star Trek out there. There's a lot of really good Star Trek too. And I think a changing of approach and, um, you know, Brian Fuller as, as somebody, it's infectious, the optimism that he has for this property. And at a time when the world needs the message of Star Trek, maybe more than it did at the, at the civil rights movement to repackage, to repurpose it, to do it in an interesting and dramatic and fun way. There's a lot riding on it, but I, I feel this team's up to the test. I really do. I'm certainly sympathetic to the idea that these people who are under a tremendous amount of pressure, not just to make a TV show work, but to make Star Trek work and to make the pilot work because the pilot's going to be for free on CBS and they then immediately have seven days to move people to CBS all access subscriptions in the United States. Um, where I'm, ex I'm assuming they're expecting to get the bulk of their other money from. The rest is, you know, internationally, with the exception of Canada, the rest is from whatever the the cryptic details are that uh, that CBS has with uh, with Netflix for licensing. But I mean, point being, I'm sympathetic to the idea that um, that they need to launch a show, they need to launch a pilot. The pilot needs to be good enough to with. Again, with seven days, they need to move butts to actively go to a website, sign up for a new thing with your credit card information, and then not cancel for the next 12 subsequent episodes, and maybe, oh, maybe hang around for the entire year to see things like The Good Wife spin off and all of that. I know it's a ton of pressure. I know that they don't appreciate being reminded about that pressure, but I'm reminded of the blog post that Ron Moore, the the famous Star Trek writer, Deep Space Nine, went on to do Battlestar Galactica, etc. What he wrote the day that Enterprise was canceled, which is, uh, I believe the title of the blog post was uh, Star Trek Returns to the Fans. And it was this idea that Star Trek sometimes needs to lie fallow from the suits and the writers and the soundstage and be nurtured by the fans again. And... I guess I, I, I'm not trying to say that they were disrespectful to the fans and if they don't have footage and we've had awesome experiences at other conventions where surprise, surprise, we're going to bring out the actor or we're going to bring out all the actors or you're going to get to see Jessica Jones before anybody else. Fine. That's a certain level of showmanship that Star Trek doesn't have right now because they don't have an episode to show, but I, I don't know. I guess for them to be a little pushing back against the fan, and I know the Star Trek fan is a special kind of fervorous fan, but for them to be give a little sass back to people who just want great Star Trek, again, from the messenger, I'm a little put off by that. The message, though, of 
we are absolutely looking at the world around us and ways to tell and retell the things going on in this world through that Star Trek lens where it's profound and it's progressive. That's the sense of hope that I left uh, that panel with is this idea that they really do have they really do have their target of of making great Star Trek and in in a new way in this in this uh, serial type of way. The irony I just feel that is inescapable is people feeling like they they didn't get enough or that they haven't been sold on this um when the the vision of this show that they've pitched is about the best of what humanity has to offer and both members of this writing room talking about how fuller has such a specific and clever vision i mean um they even talked about being enchanted with it so all right they couldn't speak in specifics and you know i was as disappointed as anybody that we didn't get a, a big reveal and you know other than apparently a a clip of a mask of an alien being made that was specifically put in the little sizzle reel we got nothing. I got real confidence in the storytelling team behind this. Uh, Nick Meyer has written the second episode. Um, super excited that uh, the, the guy behind the Wrath of Khan is going to do the second chapter of this this novel. I I walked away definitely confident. Maybe not as confident as you. I, I, I don't know. It, it, if nothing else, it's going to be an interesting lead up. Um, I'm, I'm completely sympathetic to the undercurrent of the Star Trek fan that has that, that in many ways, the average Star Trek fan is stuck in the past in a lot of ways. And I'm not saying universally across the board when it comes to here's what I like best about Star Trek. I mean, it's almost no pun intended. It's a generational thing. In, in the last podcast episode, we talked about the Next Generation panel, and, and Jonathan Frakes uh, mentioned how when he went to his first convention in 1987, people were skeptical. This was not Kirk and Spock. So there is a certain, there is a certain thing where the Star Trek fan that looks so forward to the future can't look forward to the future of Star Trek TV. Um, but, but I don't know. You know what, Pete? I'm sure that they're going to give us great stuff to get us excited between now and January. And so, so I'll, I'll kind of be buoyed by the uh, be buoyed by the the hope of that. Two things from a writing perspective, as somebody with a writing background, that they talked about. The host brought up um, that they had met. You know, first didn't quite have his information. That they met with dignitaries, and then that was walked back by uh, Buyer and Meyer not with specifics, but that, you know, these were scientists and, and referencing even a, a, a group that exists. I, I don't have my fingers on it um, at the moment to give the name, but that will come in and help storytellers so they don't screw up the science of science fiction. Um, that they've met with a number of people like that, that they've done the research about evolving technology when you when you think of what star trek has brought us in everyday um 
you know, things in our lives like smartphones and tablets, and there's even a universal translator now, Matt, they are put in this, the very difficult position of trying to figure out, well, what's going to come next. We, though they're moving 10 years before the original series and, and Kirk, um, they still have to ground it in a reality of a future we haven't been to yet. Um, and doing that. And then the other thing that, that really endeared it to me is, you know, that um, Nicholas Meyer brings his German shepherd Stella into the writing room. He was joking about it at first. I wasn't quite sure. And then, you know, Meyer admitted that it's a, it's a dog friendly workplace and that they all bring their dogs. And she even got a dog in the, in the middle of doing this, um, which I thought again, humanized it. And, you know, these are people, in a high pressure environment with a, with a beloved 50 year old franchise, how many TV franchises are 50 years old with, with this many entries now in a position of reigniting it again after some pretty commercially successful movies in a different timeline. So it's a very unique challenge that they're faced with. And I, I think they're dealing with it. Well, if, like me, dear listener, you're feeling maybe a little pessimistic towards the worst case scenario of this show, uh, I can only reflect on my own my own Star Trek experience, which starts with the next generation, and then there's kind of the built-in classic classic Trek and all that 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 can quickly be uh, be be taken in. But then Deep Space Nine was so different that. Most of it I didn't watch when it aired. And you, you look back on it and say, this is absolutely brilliant and it's prescient and, it, and it, it does a style of TV that didn't exist in the 1990s. And then Voyager comes along and, oh, it's like the old adventures. But then for me, it's like, oh, quickly, you know, I found fault with that and stopped watching. And it turns out the Voyager, for the most part, is lovely and exciting and a, a great episodic adventure. And then I remember uh, when Enterprise came on and, oh, it's going to be you know, a throwback and they're going to not have the problems that Voyager had. And then, Oh, look at those things they're holding. They're more like, uh, they're more like PDA phones than they are, you know, Kirk's, uh, little blinky pad that he had. Oh, boo, boo, boo. And Pete, I haven't seen a, a lot of enterprise yet. I'm, I'm getting ready to make my way through it, but you say that some of the best Star Trek stories are, are, are in the later seasons of enterprise. So what's the common theme there? Nobody likes the new Star Trek until people find out that the new Star Trek has a lot that's, that's, that's good with it. So I take solace in that, in that past to say, you know what, that plus the setting of when Discovery will be. I mean, 10 years before Classic Trek means we get to have the retro type sets, but maybe done on a budgetary scale that Classic Trek didn't have. Uh, we get to have those familiar, uh, you know, the shapes of ships and things of that sort. It gets to kind of be retro, um, but explored in a new way. Maybe not quite as envelope pushing as the Kelvin Universe movies because of what they did to make that universe possible. They were able to kind of take the technology forward. But to make it comfortable and familiar, but in a pocket of, of Star Trek lore that we don't know about, that's what's most exciting. And then you hear them talk about taking taking keys and clues from our current world and you say oh my goodness who have there been any promise uh, prominent muslim characters in star trek before uh, certainly not prominent for their religion 
hey, we get to look forward to that or, or whatever that's going to look like. And we get to we get to see these things through new eyes um, with some people who have a really varied Star Trek background. So definitely a lot about Star Trek Discovery that we learned about in this panel to be really, really excited about. Listen, life has begotten art, has begotten life. And now we're back to the art again in that over the course of his in and out 34 year, 35 year association with, with Star Trek, uh, Nick Meyer told the story of working on um, the undiscovered country with uh, Leonard Nimoy during the fall of the Soviet Union and the, the coup that happened and then Paramount asking, how, how quickly can you get? the movie out now that Gorbachev who became Gorkhan in the film has been kidnapped and the coup and everything going on there. Um, this it it's going to work because of the care that these people have in it. And you, you reference what I've told you, you know, numerous times uh, off mic that, you know, seasons three and four of, of enterprise as serial storytelling, as a love letter to the original series, um, work really, really well. And I'm excited to see, free from the constraints of, of TV 12 years ago, you know, Meyer lamented as well the, the loss of appointment television. And, you know, we have talked about between podcasting in the, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with shows that air once a week and shows that are binged on Netflix, um, you know, how, how they're, how they're different animals and how the audience is, um, is, is different. And here, you know, we're, we're going to get the the pilot over the air and something I'm sure there's, there's going to be a lot of interest and then, yeah, it's going to be, who's, who's going to, who's going to go pay for it. I'm sure it's going to be pirated as well. And I'm sure that's going to be an issue for them to attempt to overcome um, even to the point where it was announced this week that CBS All Access is going to have two types of subscriptions. There's going to be the no commercial subscription, and then there's going to be the, the watch the commercial subscription. And, you know, that's being talked about a lot. Um, so these are very 2016 problems for Star Trek to, to face coming back. But I dare say this franchise has dealt with problems before. And we're talking about it 50 years later, so they must be doing something right. With that, Pete, if you're listening to us on the Star Trek Discovery feed, uh, we will certainly uh, update this feed with, uh, with any Star Trek Discovery news as it unfolds in the next several months. Uh, we, we might not do a, a, a regular episode until uh, closer to January as we, uh, as we get ready for that series uh, to, to launch. Uh, if you're listening to us in the pop culture feed, of course, we'll uh, we'll be continuing with uh, not just Star Trek news, but uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is uh, not that far away. Luke Cage, uh, a little bit past that. Um, uh, Doctor Strange, even beyond that, will be at New York Comic Con. So all sorts of podcast goodies. And, uh, of course, all of this made possible by the people uh, who support us on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek making sure that the, uh, the, the warp core keeps going and uh, <laughs> the uh, storage and bandwidth uh, costs that we accrue. Uh, we're so appreciative that uh, there are people uh, helping, uh, 
helping share that load. So uh, thank you one and all, dear uh, dear Patreon pals. Special shout out to uh, Patron Mary Kirk donating at the level that she does and encourage you to go to uh, patreon.com forward slash fantastic geek with the PH um, and check out some of the, the various incentives we have for you if uh, you're feeling generous enough to uh, donate and we're, we're thankful for all of it. But Pete, the best of all, as I, as I so often say, the best comes for free. That is, of course, following you on Twitter, talking to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, uh, 8,287 followers. Can't be wrong. While I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole variety of ways where we are Fantastic Geek. It is Fantastic PH. You can find us under that name on the dot com, the Gmail, the Instagram, the Twitter. But wait, there's more. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek. All one word again with the PH. Like it today. Well, we look forward to uh, talking more Star Trek as uh, as news warrants and certainly looking ahead to uh, not just our aforementioned uh, Marvel TV slate, but uh, Star Trek in the winter. So until then, I will say simply bye-bye. Farewell.